0: All right, we're live and we're rolling. Welcome back to The Real Venture. I'm your host, Peyton Truett, joined, as always, by my co-host, Luke. And Luke and I are starting a new business together. And in order for us to succeed, we developed this podcast as a platform so we can ask other entrepreneurs the questions that we need answers to in order for our business to grow. So if you're in our shoes, but not sure what the next step is, then The Real Venture is the place for you. Welcome.
1: Today we've got Victor Gutvein joining us, which is gonna be an uh, awesome time. I'm really excited to to get to talk to him about kind of his work starting up uh, M25VC a Midwest-focused venture capital firm that's kind of all across the board. Uh, investing in companies in you know digital health software um, and and many more that we'll we'll get to hear a bit about here in a second but um, i think the main goal for us for this interview is just to get to talk to him a little bit about you know his thought process in both um, starting some companies which he did before he went off to start m25 as well as the process of building up a venture capital firm from scratch uh, and then you know the the kind of investment decisions that you have to make so should be a lot of fun but uh, with that Peyton, should we get into it
0: let's do it all right, Victor. So, uh, why don't we start off by you just telling us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah. Uh, thanks. So, I, I am from Indiana. Uh, I have come from a long line of entrepreneurs myself. Um, ancestors were farmers, and great grandfather was a farmer. Uh, then, my dad uh, was actually in property management and student housing. And uh, that actually, you know, he, he is the one that encouraged me to then get into. Into startups and entrepreneurship. So I, I started off um, when I was in middle school with a bubblegum machine business that I put into different I, I bought a whole bunch of used bubblegum machines, put them into businesses around town, made 25 cents a time while I was at school, uh, grew, grew that, sold it to my brother, my younger brother, uh, while I took on a landscaping business um, that I did around town. And then in college, I started a scooter company f- uh, to get kick scooters into the hands of college students as a kind of a last mile transportation method. Um, This was before scooters were a big opportunity. And so, you know, we, we had some good ideas, but also like poor execution first time trying to to do anything. Um, But it actually got me involved with a student run venture fund um, that I was on the founding board of. And that was really what kind of really was when I found what I wanted to do. Um, venture capital was really exciting, really interesting to me. I love working with other founders. And that's what I wanted to go into coming out of undergrad. Um, didn't necessarily have a clear path into how to do that. So I actually first went and you know joined a few corporate roles. I was a corporate strategy at Claire's, the girls jewelry store, and then on the strategy and e-commerce team for Walgreens. Um, and those are two really important roles helped me get some of my basics um, really good at Excel business planning business strategy um, just some of the some of the you know stuff that could help me kind of get, get eventually get going on my own um, but knew I wasn't going to be in the corporate world for too long and so I was able to approach some friends and family in 2015 and just a couple years after graduating um, college and actually raised a $1 million fund one that I quit my job and went full-time on, Um, you know, was scrapping around and trying to build up our reputation, our brand, uh, trying to do deals, um, get access to high quality opportunities, show that I could be a valuable investor to the founders that we were backing. And that was, I mean, that was hard, but it was really good hands-on learning because I was doing everything. Um, first time setting up entities and working with councils on, on invest, making investments, um, accounting, uh, setting up, eventually making my first hires on my team, uh, raising capital for subsequent funds as we grew. Um, a lot of that was just you know, trial by fire and, and making some mistakes, of course, along the way. Uh, 2016, we raised $11 million and my partner, Mike Assim, uh, who also is from the same hometown as me, he, he came and joined as a partner. Uh, and then in 2019, we raised our, a $30 million fund three and the whole time have been, uh, you know, building out our own team. Uh, we've now invested in over a hundred companies across the entire Midwest region. That is our fund strategy and thesis is to invest in early stage founders, and, uh, and teams across the Midwest region, across mainly primarily software, e-commerce, and digital marketplaces, so digital-first types of businesses. Um, and and we've, we've done a pretty good job with that, having some successful exits, some really you know, companies that have raised a lot of money and are valued um, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so you know, we feel like we're on our way, but we're you know, still the early days for us as well. So that's that's a long-winded uh, answer to that question, but that kind of maybe tells a little bit of our journey um, and my journey, you know, from from where I came from. So
1: awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for the the background there. I mean, I guess just like as something that is. Uh, a thing that Peyton and I are going through a little bit right now, you mentioned kind of having to do everything right right off the bat, and you're having to understand how to set up entities, how to navigate deals correctly, you know when to use legal counsel, when to you know just trying to figure things out, all the accounting all that stuff. H- how did you go about uh, you know determining what was like the right use of time, the right thing to be focusing on all that stuff when you're all kind you're kind of only accountable to yourself um, especially at that yeah. point.
2: I mean, that, that's like one of the biggest struggles because you are like, if, if you're doing everything for the first time, you're not ever going to be doing it in the almost, like you're guaranteed not to do it the best way. You can hire outside help, but at the same time, um, that's expensive for somebody that, you know, we're, we're pretty lean and still are pretty lean, but especially then very lean with our budget. Um, I was, you know, You also kind of want to learn right you want to have to do some of it yourself and not like even if eventually you're going to hire something out um or have somebody hire a new person to do something it's i know how to do everything that our company needs to do because i've had to do it at one point and you know i think that you know maybe i wouldn't do it as well like I had to do a website now, I, I would still just do a WordPress website instead of like actually, you know, code a nice one. But, you know, we could get it. We, I could do it. You know, I could figure that out. And I think that is a talent. You kind of know, you just know how much work and how much pain and how much effort things are going to be. And so then when you are willing to pay for it in the future, that also kind of, you know, okay, well, I'll pay for that to get it done professionally. Versus having
1: me do it. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that's probably a hard decision when you're like, ah, I could do this thing. You know, it's like, why would I pay somebody, you know, salary to to spend all their time on this? I could, you know, 80, 20 it and and get it done. But um, is that like still a hard decision for you? You feel like you found a good balance of like, ah, it's now it's time to hire.
2: Yeah, I think like I and definitely I I've, I've come to realize like sometimes it's just better to. I think like the, the big question is like when to use legal counsel. Like That's like one of the, the most expensive per hour things that you kind of need to consistently use. And, you know, there's like, I, I, I actually know way more about legal uh, about investment and like the structure of those and like reading legal documents, but I probably leverage counsel more than I ever had before just because it's a better use of time. They're going to still catch things that I need help with. So, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good balance there. I think there's, there's some things that like, People are, you know, always are pitching on you, outsource this, outsource this, and it's, you know, it's just not going to be something. It's a core competency that we'd rather keep a hold of, um, you know, whether it's like our social media or our, um, you know, uh, some some sort of like like a sourcing investments to invest in. You can outsource a lot of like deal sourcing, like that's a core competency of us. Doesn't seem like that's going to be a great thing to outsource or pay for, so. Um,
0: And, you know, I think it, I think it also goes into like, kind of like an opportunity cost, kind of like you just talked about, like that would might be the best use of that money to actually have legal go through it. Because like you said, they might catch something that's deeper than what you would initially do. But I also think on the flip side, I think it also sets you up to be a good leader because you understand like what that process is and, you know, you understand what that person's going to struggle with. And, you know, I mean, it just like, you know, we talked a little bit about like, you know, sympathizing and empathizing with yeah. people. Um, you know, I think because you've done that entire process, you can do that pretty well.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's also like, you just know like, okay, this should take about this amount of time or like this should cost about this much. I mean, just, just being able to do that, like it helps you prevent you from being taken for, or just also being, being a good. And I, I don't, and this will take, a, this will take a week or something. i like, oh, I'll let it sit
1: so. yeah no and, and so Victor how how do you feel like your experience as an operator as someone who started a company how has that impacted your ability or your perspective or your take as an investor in some of these uh, earlier stage companies does it you know do you feel like it's changed that compared to the folks you know who who didn't have that experience
2: well I, I do think that it I, I kind of can can understand where founders are coming from when um, when they, they had this like an imposter syndrome and, you know, everybody has it when you're, when you're like the, the CEO or like the, the founder of your company. And like, that is, that is very common. And I, I, I work a lot with just, Hey, I understand. I've been in, you know, I understand what it's like. I'm not going to overly pressure you. I will give you some 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 critical feedback or some advice. Um, but really I, I think it's like listening, maybe trying to offer up some help. Those are the things that I feel like I, I appreciate more probably coming from the position that I was in. Um, but also just maybe being a little bit younger and starting in 25 from scratch has helped me not to approach things from like, well, you just need to do it this way or why aren't you doing it this way? But like trying to be more collaborative and understanding of a founder that's facing a specific challenge or, um, you know, maybe they, they didn't communicate uh you know, they haven't seen on investor communication for over, you know, for a couple of months and you know, they said they would, well, I get it. Is there any way I can help? Maybe I, here's why I think you should prioritize it. But I, I understand sometimes it slips. How do we, how, how can I maybe be a part of the, the solution? I think like that's, that's maybe my approach to it then because of my background.
0: So, you know, like you said, you started M25, at, you know, with little experience in, in this world and younger, do you think that your age presented a challenge um, you know, you being younger or were you able to, to use it as a, as a strength going forward? I think, no, it was definitely, it was definitely a challenge in, you know, the thing, the number one thing I
2: need to do is raise money for our funds and raising money as a young person without much of a track record is, is a pretty, it, you know, it's, that's, that's a struggle. Um, I think, you know, when I, cause when I first started in 25, I was, I was 23 years old and it was like. Hey, who's going to give a twenty-three-year-old that hasn't really run venture funds before at all, like any sort of capital to put at risk? Um, I had to leverage mm-hmm. some some people that were like mentors and other and kind of early investors in me as for their credibility. Um, so I was able to kind of get around that a little bit, but it definitely impacted how much we could raise. But the way that it did help, I think, was in my ability to form relationships with. Founders who are in their 20s and 30s, a lot of them are, um, and they could view me as somebody as a peer they could trust a little bit more. They, I may be able to form a deeper relationship that is a, is more candid, have a better understanding of actually how the business is doing, maybe. So I think that could be an advantage for me, uh, for the foreseeable future, still here too. So um, try not to lose touch of that as well. But um, yeah, now now my age, I mean, I'm 29 now, so. And, you know, I think it, it's, it probably doesn't hinder me as much, um, especially because I look old, I got two kids now, you know, it's like, you just kind of like, oh, yeah, I got kids. Uh, like and
1: They're like, oh, oh you don't, must- don't talk to me yeah. anymore.
2: <laughs>
1: Run away. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know I- you kind of hit the nail right on the head. Cause that's kind of what Luke and I are going through right now is we're trying to raise um, money for, for our business. And, you know, we're these young people without much of a track record. So, you know, like you said, you said you started to leverage your mentors. What are some other things um, that you were able to do as a young person to help, you know, build up some of that credibility and and actually, you know, raise some capital? So
2: what we did with the, we had the first fund that was just friends and family, the people that just knew me really well. And you know, we tried to execute really well with that in that first year. Just, it was a small fund. that's you know hard to operate with just a one million dollar fund trying to make venture investments. It's pretty small, but what it allowed us to do was, hey, we've we've made these high quality investments. Here's some of the co-investors. Here's some of how they how they're performing. You can see, like, you know, we can share you what they do with you what they do, but they're really high quality um, software startups. <clears throat> and we did what we said we were going to do. You know, we said we we're going to find these investments. We did those. Um, these founders, some of them I've worked a little bit more closely with now. They can, you can ask them. It could be a reference for how well I'm doing. Um, and so, you know, and how, how much value I'm adding. And here's how many deals we store. Like Just like what we built in that first year was additional credibility. It wasn't much. Like in hindsight, it's still pretty, you know, it, it, we were still very nascent at the time. But it was enough to show, like, I'm doing what I say I'm going to do. We're doing it. Like, we're definitely hustling. We're putting some quality work here. Uh, there's no reason not to take a risk on me. Now, to be clear, most people still said yes, or <laughs> said, no. Most people still said no. It was hard to get a yes still. But you know, I think that you know what what, what I, I, I lacked in um, in hit rate, I made up for in numbers. So yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to do it. Um, and. and um, being in kind of that longer term investment space is it hard to kind of see that that improvement with the very long feedback loop of a venture investment uh how, how do you manage those you know very long exits
2: yeah no it's it's incredibly hard because people that invest in venture get it and they know that like hey here are other signals other than just returning cash from an from a liquidity event that 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 are a positive Signal that I'm doing a good job as an venture investor. Things like, who did did you have any additional rounds of capital that at a higher valuation that you can mark up your position? Were they high quality investors? Are the companies growing their revenue? Um, Those types of signals um, people will look at and value. But unsophisticated people that have an adventure, they're like, wait, how much money have you returned? What's your you know your rate of return? And I'm like well, it's all book markups right now at this point. Like, it's just all paper markups. And so that was sometimes a a pretty tough conversation, right? And so, and, like, to be clear, we're still relatively in the early phases of the fund that I started five years ago and knowing exactly how it's going to return. Like, it's positive. We just don't know if it's going to be, like, was it worth playing the game or not? We think it will be, but... You know, it, 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 it will be uncertain. Like these funds take 10, 12 years to like mature and everybody knows how much money they're going to get.
1: Yeah, no. And, and so you have how many funds now? Three? Is that correct? Three funds. Yeah. And so what is, I guess, what is your core thesis or theses right now? And, and how is your investment approach changed? Like I know you're Midwest focused, digital. Um, are you able to get any more s- specific on that, you know, over time?
2: Yeah, yeah, so I mean, we've hammered in on like a um, some other aspects. So like, w- when you say early stage, a lot of times that depending on who you're talking to, that could be a fifty million dollar valuation or a one million dollar valuation. Yeah. So ours are generally valued between two to six million dollars pre-money. We're generally doing a round that's five hundred k to three million. So that's usually when you get the first professional like institutional level investors. Of course, before that you'll sometimes have accelerators or even like angel funds or something before that. But we're usually the first stage. When I first started investing, that was sometimes called series A but or, or seed. Now it's often called pre-seed. Yeah. So the terms have kind of changed. Um, we also like, we've mirro- like we, from the beginning, we haven't done anything vice related. So alcohol, gambling, tobacco, cannabis, But we've also like focused in on things that we we definitely specialize in B two B software, consumer apps, e commerce. Um, You know, there's some industries we've invested in heavily. Things that are related to healthcare, but not not like physical like medical devices, but healthcare software, Um, transportation and logistics, fintech. Um, So those are some things like we're 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 more familiar or comfortable with. Um, We you know in the early days we probably we dabbled a little bit more. Broadly, we did we did a tech-enabled restaurant. We did uh, CPG products. Like we 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 tested out a little bit more, and we've kind of narrowed that in on what we're really good at now. So that that has definitely happened. But the geography and the stage has basically stayed the same since we started.
1: And how how much of your your team's expertise do you apply to the companies you invest in? Are you are you very hands on, um, providing kind of more weekly guidance, or is it mostly hands off?
2: I will say we try to invest in teams that they are going to get there. They're going to have be successful with, with or without us. We hope to be a piece of the solution that helps you know pick up the pace, help them get an, an extra lift, maybe optimize for their next fundraising round, add some additional customers, something like that. So we actually view ourselves as more hands-off but solicited Value add is how we say it. So when they need help, you're there. When they need to raise a fundraising round, when they need to hire a specific key hire, we will bring our vast network now because we have over 100 portfolio companies. We have hundreds of co-investors we've worked with. We we have a whole part of our our value prop that was trying to get talent, so people that want to work at startups into our companies. So we, we do a lot of that, and that's like how do we use we're relatively inexperienced still. How do we, what is our strength? Our strength is our network and our connectivity. And so we're going to be plugging that into our companies mm. more so than just, Hey, we've been here, done that before. You should do this. I mean, we'll give people advice all the time. We'll connect people with other portfolio founders and other advisors. That's very common, but yeah. we're not necessarily saying you're going to be successful because of us. That's something yeah. that we don't say to our founders.
1: Cool. Cool. Yeah, this is, is super interesting to me. So, um, Victor, for some background for you, I'm currently working on a decentralized finance business. Um, we raise like a little small round um, kind of accelerator size, but um, very, very curious about your take on kind of both um, what you're looking for in a company that you're throwing a $500,000 check at. Um, a lot of the companies that I know, founders who are kind of working on companies of that size um, maybe they need kind of that $500,000 just to get their product to a point where it's it marketable. Um, or, um, you know, maybe they don't have revenue yet, whatever the case may be. What are you looking for in order to say, yeah. this is a team I want to put my money behind?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's great. Cause it's also, it's sometimes, it's sometimes variable and it's sometimes subjective and, you know, you'll ask a uh, hundred PCs and get 120 different answers. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, um, I will say we try to do our analysis of a company in a relatively objective way. We have a scorecard method where we take the most important aspects of what makes a company successful, like what you can see that will indicate a company being successful. Um, and we will, we will take that and try to then, okay, we know that team is the most important aspect. What inside of a team it makes it a successful team? So we're scoring, you know, hey, the, the skill sets of the founders, we're scoring the experience, the network that they have, the industry experience. Um, we're, we're kind of tracking all of that and saying, this is, you know, this is more like this, they meet these criteria higher or lower than your typical startup. Um, we're doing that and we weight it, like we kind of get a weighted overall score. The biggest impacts are team, and you know I kind of just hinted at what is the most important factors there, but also traction. So like revenue, customers, um, you know the the that includes like your margin, how how kind of profitable those those customers are, the diversity of customers, the quality of customers. We're looking at all of that, the month over month growth of of your revenue, um, and then market. So we're looking at the size of the market as in a that's, that's a you know market opportunity the competitive landscape and then product. So how are, you know, product market fit, how are customers reacting to the product? Um, How well built is it? What version is it? Is it in beta or is it, you know, pretty well built out with it, all these additional features, how does it compare to the rest of the, the market there? Those are the biggest four categories. And I will say it's pretty rare for us to invest in a company that's pre revenue, unless all of the other categories are really strong. So like, for example, we've invested in a company that the prior founder sold his business for for his last business he founded for three hundred million bucks. So you know that that team was very exceptional, but you know that the it, it at that point it was just a pilot stage, uh, the the actual traction. So the traction was pretty low. We've also done pretty inexperienced teams. Um, you know, n- nothing like they didn't come out of Stanford. They didn't like, you know, they weren't one of the first employees of Google or something. But at that point, we're probably looking at the other signals more strongly, right? Because we, we don't, we're not getting as clear of a signal on the team at this point. So like, we, okay, well, you're, oh, but you're growing 20% month over month and you just crossed 40,000, uh, monthly revenue. That's pretty interesting. And, you know, let's, let's kind of like dig into that. So. Um, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of the balancing act, right? Um, uh, of looking at a company. So, just, just back to it. If, if they, if the company is in an experienced team, they're going to have to try to bootstrap, probably to, you know, and maybe go through an accelerator, raise a little bit of early money to get their their first revenue clicking, and that's when they're probably going to be able to raise from a VC. You know, this is what I've seen. Have you?
0: So. Have you used that scorecard methodology since the beginning, or has that been something that you guys have kind of adapted to as you've gone We on? launched that, but I look,
2: so every quarter we improve the scorecard. We're always trying, like, so we had this, you know, when I first started, I'm like, okay. And I look back and it's so childish and simplistic compared to what we have now. It's like, my team will dig it up. like, look what, look what Victor was doing back in the day. And I'm like, look, I had to start somewhere. OK, and so it was like it was it was much more, um, you know, just like the, the individual factors weren't as considered. We didn't have as much nuance to, to the scores. Um, now it's it's, you know, we've been trying to do this process of every quarter, taking what we've learned, looking back at what has worked and what hasn't. Um, what we've like seen in the market, you know, the other deals that we've seen, you know, what, what has made them successful. Um, and trying to bring that, that feedback back and then, okay, let's tweak this scorecard here. Let's add this as a new variable. Let's bring down the importance of this. We do that all the time.
0: I think the, uh, I think the scorecard is, is a good method, especially for for younger people because of bringing in the objective based factors, you can use that as a reasoning tool. And, and it kind of counteracts the being young, no oh, yeah. record, no experience kind of thing. And also
2: I'm, um, Just on our team, because we're bringing in new investors, right? More junior people that are right out of college now, as as VCs on our team, we brought them in, and it's like this actually standardizes our team's analysis and kind of brings some consistency Mm -hmm. to. Do I just think it's a good company? Well, let's you know, like let's see with M twenty five, the group will think it's a good company if we should move it forward, and it helps us all be kind of speaking the same language.
0: Do you think? Do you think other VCs? Struggle when they don't have consistency in, in in their investments or their approach. It's a huge
2: issue because you will have relatively junior people on the team working on a deal, talking to founders, doing due diligence, surfacing it up, and then either you know, like for for just relatively flimsy. Well, I don't. I never even liked that that space. Or like I like. Why would we do that deal? It has this. You know, and like very. Um, I, I see that all the time and it's a horrible experience as a founder pitching that firm. It's also a horrible experience for the investors. Plus you have as a senior member partner on the team, you have all of your staff spending time on stuff that you don't even want them to spend time on because you guys aren't speaking the same language. So if I think just communication and general, transparency across all the VC fundraising process, working with founders, et cetera, is really the the status quo is very bad we've been trying to improve that from the beginning um but yeah it's that that is a problem
1: yeah so um i feel like you know you mentioned kind of your way of of tracking you know the progress of your companies maybe it's paper uh, valuations, maybe it's, um, looking at revenue numbers, users, all that stuff kind of after, you know, as they go into their series A, series B and being able to kind of see how your companies are doing. Um, have you had any crazy failures yet or that you're able to share with us, uh, companies you've invested in you've been like, oh, that was terrible. Like, what were we thinking? Um, and yeah, if you wouldn't mind going in on one of them.
2: Yeah, no, we've, I mean, we expect to lose a hundred percent of our money or, you know, or a good chunk of the money on maybe 50% of deals or more. Like, I mean, it could be a really high percentage because if you think about it, we are investing in companies that are very early in, in new spaces, new ideas, and that are swinging really big. They're swinging for unicorn status. We're not gonna invest in a company that's swinging for corner store bakery status, right? So um, that is, that. that's something that like, is gonna by default have a really bad Hit rate on if you just look at like success or not, but the ones that are successful then will be really really big, so it'll pay off.
0: So how do you how do you approach your investors with that kind of mindset? You know, I mean, I'm I'm sure for the most part, you know, they understand the risks, but I mean, at the end of the day, do you have to communicate that message to them that hey, you know, we are shooting for those people that want unicorns, yeah, and that comes with some challenges. Yeah, I mean,
2: I've actually, I mean that 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 was probably one of the things that helped me get um, some traction with. Um, showing that I had a very robust portfolio model early on and that we would take a lot of losses. And that's what they call a J-curve. Like you kind of get your losses earlier, but we're going to have a, enough shots on goal that we're going to hit some really big winners that offset it by a, a vast margin. So, you know, I would actually show them my Monte Carlo simulation that I would run on the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I probably spent my first year, I spent a lot of time because um, I was pitching at that point for my second fund, like putting together portfolio uh, simulations, how many deals we need to do, why we're going to do a consistent amount in every investment um, or, you know, similar amount in every investment um, so that we have equal weighted because it's hard. We're trying to pick the best out of the We see 100 deals. We invest in one. That's kind of typically about one percent, a little less than one percent, is our hit rate on how many we invest in. And that, even though we're trying to pick the best one, there's still a really high degree that it's gonna that that individual one could still fail because there's still a lot of luck and exogenous variables, unknown you know things down the road that could happen. When it comes to, yeah, so that that's kind of how we convinced. Uh, investors to join us. And so far, it's born true. We've we've had probably more failures so far than, than positive exits. Um, we've had failures where we invested and we've even invested again, thinking that it was on the right track. And we've lost both of our investments, right? So we've had some bad yeah. outcomes. But you can only lose your initial investment, whereas we're shooting for investments that have potential to be 10x, 20x, 30x, 50 100x. And so, you know, we—it's okay to sometimes swing big on those, um, knowing that we haven't—we're doing enough of those type of investments. So that does that kind of, yeah, I think that kind of answers that that question.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I have just two more, and then we can move on. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, one is just like I—I've always been curious about how a. A uh, venture capital firm differentiates itself from other venture capital firms. Um, I think it, some of it makes sense to me. And if you have like you know LPs who are very well connected for the the company that is you, you know um, that you're investing in or whatever the case may be, but beyond that, like are are there things that you can do to to see more deals or to um you know get access to the best deals that or the deals you're interested in? Yeah,
2: yeah, no, I mean that's because uh, otherwise we're just money. We're just like yeah. middlemen. Otherwise, and so our value prop has, we have taken what some people would perceive as a weakness that we have so many companies in our portfolio. They would say, well, you can't spend that much time with each one. And I'm like, well, we're picking deals that are going to be successful with or without us. And we're using the advantage of our portfolio, which is a huge network. We're using that advantage to help our companies. And so uh, people, why do people... Founders that have a choice because sometimes founders have a choice of what money they get to pick. Why would they pick M25? You know, and why have we won competitive investment processes, right? We have won because we're the most active investor in the Midwest. We have more investments, more portfolio companies in this region than anybody else by a pretty big margin. Uh, So our net, so, so we are well known, not just in Chicago, not just in Indiana, but in St. Louis, in Minnesota, in Nebraska, in Columbus, Ohio. And so we have founders that are referring us to other founders. We have lawyers and other VCs and accelerators in those cities that are referring us to. So we have a huge reputational – and we have a huge deal flow sourcing advantage, but also a reputational advantage when it comes to winning the deals. Second, we use that huge network to help our companies raise capital. We will help our companies get the best capital, access to capital nationally, and that's something that's been a real struggle in the Midwest because it's such a warm intro game. So we provide those warm intros. We help them hire talent because it's hard if you're in Indianapolis, there's only a limited number of computer science um, graduates that you can hire from. But if you look at the entire region, we're helping to source and pull from, hey, this company's letting go of some people, let's to into this company. Uh, you know, this person's interested in a job. Let's route into this, these five opportunities to check out within our portfolio. So we do that. Um, and we actually, use that to then launch the biggest Midwest VC conference in the, in the, in the region. It's in Chicago. And we host it, you know, we host it twice a year. It's gone virtual the past couple times. We'll be back in person in the fall, but it's the largest gathering of VCs now in the entire Midwest. And it's only for, you, you only get to go from as a founder, if you're in our portfolio and you get them double opt-in meetings with other VCs, you also get the founder community that comes out of that. There's a lot of social founder-to-founder founder interactions. So our portfolio is helping each other, which once again, largest portfolio. So they're going to have that leg up because they'll be able to talk to somebody that has been to that exact same problem before. So that's how we have focused probably our edge on. I would also say like, if you look at our brand, if you look at our website, it's among the most transparent and communicative and accessible of, of brands so that's why we've actually have it we hit really well when it comes to getting young and underrepresented founders uh seeking capital from us um that's why like because we just have made ourselves so available um versus i feel like it's kind of the traditional view is maybe the more closed off or like um you know old boys club type of environment so i will say that's uh that's probably another um item that we've excelled in
1: yeah, that's, that's awesome. It uh, um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess last question then on this M25 front, what is, you know, the goal two, five, 10 years from now, however far out you guys have been uh, strategizing? Um, what do you, what are you hoping to do?
2: Yeah. I mean, right now, like the near-term goals, we want to be the best seed fund in our region. And I think like we're close to achieving that. Like the, you know, the one that people are it's always the top of people's list. They're seeking us out. We are a huge stamp of validation. We can syndicate rounds instantly. Um, founders view their company hitting another level when they've gotten our seed round. That would be the near-term goal. The next goal after that is probably re- to raise even larger funds to then just be one of the top early stage investors on a national scale. We're focused on the Midwest, but just have a national reputation of being a top seed investor, an early stage investor. So maybe going eventually a little bit later, you know, towards Series A or at least being able to follow on deeper into our companies. That's kind of our you know for the next five years. I mean, honestly, we've only been around for six, so I, I can't say much much more than that. But like we kind of have that as our like we will raise larger funds, we will back our founders and and help our founders more than ever. Um and, you know, ultimately generate some, you know, really, really meaningful returns for our investors. So that's, that's our kind of our guiding goals right now. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So we've talked, um, you know, we've talked a lot about your entrepreneurial experience, but I think something that you have a unique perspective on is your interactions with other entrepreneurs. So, you know, obviously, like you said, you, you hear a hundred pitches and, you know, maybe only one is selected. So what are some of those, you know, characteristics separate of the actual product of the company itself so like things that you know the entrepreneur embodies what are some of those things that you know you seek out and you know you recognize as as being powerful and and you know an an advantage in this like characteristics of the founder themselves yeah yeah yeah. like separate of like what their actual business is so like from an entrepreneurial so
2: i mean there's like kind of some like there's some obvious traits like hustle and like kind of putting everything out there because I've always kind of thought, especially as a first-time founder, you basically have to put everything on the line for this company before you can expect anybody to put even a dime into your own company. Like it's 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 a struggle to raise to get, um, you know, to to be able to to take on, um, even sometimes customers before you've done a lot. Like you have to go um, improve yourself a lot. But I think what's even maybe more more of a of a or less obvious one is. There's an, uh, there's an aspect of storytelling, or maybe you could call it salesmanship that a, a founder like has to have. They have to convince people to join their team when you get paid below market rate and take equity in in this idea. They have to convince customers to buy something often before it's even built, or be, you know or like, hey before before it's doing everything they want it to, to do and to pay for it hopefully upfront. They have to convince investors to give them capital and believe their vision and get excited about their vision. Like that's that's pitching everybody all the time. It's exhausting, but it can be really rewarding as well. And some people get a lot of energy out of it. And some people are really good out of that. Now, if you're just salesmanship or just storytelling and it's all fluff, like that, that's actually a huge red flag. That's how you get kind of like fire festival and stuff like that. Right. But, um, you know, so there's, there's definitely an element of like, I also love the founder that has actually built, um, you know, built the, the, the initial code from scratch or was coming from the industry, has a lot of connections there, really knows the problem, but then now decided to take on this founder, um, and, you know, kind of role, and build that. So that is, that is the, you know, like it, that, that kind of shows some maybe substance beyond just being like the flashy CEO. So maybe that's a few, few traits to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, definitely something our listeners can take away. Cause I think that, you know, every one of them strives to be in that position at uh, at some point, and uh, I know we're you know running out of time here. So the last question that we want to ask you is just simply: Why are you an entrepreneur?
2: Wow, that's a, that's a great one, Peyton. Um, I think the I I don't know if I could do anything else, right? At least I don't know if I could be satisfied doing anything else. I am. Um, I I have like a. I have a huge drive to create and build and, and push and ch- for challenge for to, to, to build something to be bigger. I specifically have goals with M25 that are kind of beyond just making a lot of money for people. I also think that um, it's it has a huge impact to the founder. Like a relatively small amount of capital can have a huge impact to founders and communities around it. I also think it's from kind of even my own faith background, like we named the, the company M25 after the parable of the talent in Matthew 25. And that's about investing and in encouraging growth in others um, to take some risk to use what you've been given. So I really like that. So this allows me to do that, but also allows me to enable others to do that. And, you know, so that's, that's, that's really meaningful. I also probably just have a a little bit of an aversion to uh, authority or, or, you know, I, I feel like I just, I I need to be kind of charting my own course a little bit. You know, obviously I'm not, I I take a lot of guidance and have a lot of, you know, mentors and, and my my partner at the firm and, you know, other, other kind of critical people around me. But I also like, I'm I'm pretty independent minded and want to kind of, I think that's, that's, kind of a, a, a crucial, uh, trait for, a, for entrepreneur. So, um, anybody that knows me would, would validate. <laughs> so,
1: awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Victor. Absolutely. We really, really appreciate your time. I know you've probably got a ton of stuff to do, but we appreciate you taking an hour to, uh, yeah. Yeah. With us.
0: And, uh, you know, lastly, Victor, if you could just plug all of your uh, social media, where can people find more about M25, yeah. uh, connect with of you guys? We're
2: So, you know we're on Twitter very actively. It's at M25VC. Uh, we also have, if you're interested in a role at a Midwest tech startup, there's at Midwest Startups. Um, both of those are M25VC.com and MidwestStartups.com as well. Um, so that's where we're at. We're on LinkedIn as well. Those are probably our, our main channels to reach us. And but obviously, if you if you, you want to just reach out and pitch us cold, there's also a form on our website as well to kind of just to reach out and. And we
0: do respond to those. So, uh, yeah. So Luke, that was a, that that was a great conversation. I mean, I know, uh, I know you got pretty excited, uh, you know, asking some, asking some good VC questions, but what were some of the big takeaways that you had from the episode?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, like you said, lots, lots of awesome stuff uh, that we talked about. I think one of the, Parts of this that's most interesting to me is how somebody like that is able to make decisions on companies uh, with so little of a track record. You know, you're looking at a company that maybe hasn't generated revenue, like he said, a couple companies. Uh, and then the companies that have generated revenue, it's you know still too early really to know if that means anything. Um, his analysis, uh, that question you asked him about. Hey, how do you look at founders of teams? What are the things that you look at in uh, in a good team? Um, and then the last the last thing that I thought was really really cool was just how he approached building his uh, firm from scratch and and looking at you know the uh, the I guess the upfront work that's all on him taking out the garbage so to speak, um, being responsible for kind of all these odd jobs around it, and eventually slowly over time figuring out how to kind of um, dissect what's important for him to spend his time on. Uh, and what's important for others to uh, to be hired on to do. So, what about you? What do you think was awesome?
0: Yeah, you know, I thought some of his some of his commentary around you know what makes a good entrepreneur because you know, like you just said, like having to do everything. uh, You know, especially like early on in everybody's entrepreneurial journey, like they are the entire team, or you know, or maybe they have a you know a, a business partner. But for the most part, like you know, everybody's on their grind. And he said that that's something that they, you know, they recognize when, when people come in and and pitch. And then, you know, obviously over time as, as it grows, you're able to outsource that, but having that appreciation and understanding of what that entire process looks like. And the only way you're ever going to learn that is by doing it yourself. So I think that that was incredible. And then lastly, you know, my favorite question in the world, asking people why they are an entrepreneur. I, you know, Empathized with with his answer of saying, you know, hey, I don't think I could do anything else, and I think that that is something that every great entrepreneur has. Um, you know, it's it's what they think about all day and all night, and you know, being able just to to, to chase your dream and you know do exactly with what you want to do, I think is is something that we're all chasing.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Well, um, it was a lot of fun getting to talk to Victor. Uh, he told you kind of where to find him, but we are. Uh, excited to, to kind of move on to the next week and see what we've got uh, in store.
0: All right, so if you want to continue any of the discussions that we've been having, follow us on social media. Our Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebooks will all be below in the description of this episode. Next, subscribe wherever you listen, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Amazon, you name it. We got it. We also just started up a YouTube channel. So hop over there and subscribe to The Real Venture on YouTube, where all the clips that we post on social media will be uploaded there as well, along with some bonus content. Uh, next, please leave a review and a rating. It helps us out tremendously. We were actually just cracked the top 150 business and entrepreneur podcast in America. And that is 100% because of the love and support that you guys uh, have been giving us. So make sure you continue to do so so we can crack the top 100 here real soon. And lastly, please reach out out to us. If you are a young entrepreneur and you'd like to share your story on the podcast, we'd be more than happy to have you. So with that being said, keep it real, everybody.